right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Addicted Hunting Podcast, episode number four. I'm Sean Keller. Sean, super stoked to be here with another episode of the Addicted Hunting Podcast. If you guys are out there listening on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, please tap that subscribe button. We're trying to put these one of these out one a week for you guys. Trying to put these out once a week. I don't know why I'm mumbling a bunch tonight. I'm freaking. <laughs> I'm tired. That's why. Yeah, we just got done deer hunting. That's true. It's been a couple months solid for me. Hunting. Deer hunting? Well, not not deer hunting. <laughs> I was gonna say. Well, elk, man, you elk, and, elk and deer hunting. You what kind of you throw in scouting? Yeah. Uh, also, everyone out there, please, if you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. Give us some feedback. Let us know how you're liking these podcasts because we want to. We're making these for all you guys out there. So give us suggestions as well. Like if there's certain topics or things you want to hear us talking about comment let us know what you guys want to hear from from us in the future tonight we have some pretty badass people in the studio with us huh yeah yeah cliff's here cliff's here cliff oh, silly yeah. yep Forgot that's not i'm not i'm Forgot not part about of him he doesn't count i'm not part of the badass part though but uh, you are don't downgrade yourself oh i want that but but we have uh, we got phil here phil you want to introduce yourself even though i kind of already did sure uh my name is phil and what do I do? I guide on Kodiak Island in Alaska. I'm a fishing guide. It's good to have you here, Phil. Yeah. It's good to have you home. You know, it's great to be home, you kind of. spent got- <laughs> quite a few months in Alaska, and I forget what your face looks like. This is it right here. Isn't it beautiful? It is. It is yeah. beautiful. We miss you. It's just like this big homecoming every time he comes home. <laughs> what about you, Mikey? And I'm Mikey. I'm from Kodiak Island, Alaska. I am a guide fishing. I've done some transporting deals and a full-grown kid, native kid from uh, Kodiak. Lived in my whole life, and I'm hanging out with some friends here in uh, Washington. And Good time. You guys are both fishing guides, but uh, we're going to talk about hunting today and a little bit about your guys' experiences in Alaska and, and share some stories. Yeah, hunting's a big part of my business as well. I've ran a my younger days, I ran a lot of transporting people over the Kodiak Island, hunting for deer, hunting elk, doing a few bear hunts here and there, assistant guide. So, seen a lot of animals die. I am uh, strictly a fishing guide, but in my off season, when the season is done and over with, I'll usually I would go hunting. Participate in some, some yeah, deer hunting. Yeah, I participate over there. in a lot of deer hunts, and every once in a while, I see some caribou dead in the camp that's pretty exciting yeah i heard they taste really good i i want to go they are pretty good tasted dude i got so many questions rolling around in my head right now but we will get we'll get going till i can discombobulate here but uh so so let me get this straight you mikey you you grew up in obviously in alaska native all that so dude you got to have just some like crazy stories yeah my childhood i'd say was out of the ordinary you know Went to school, met a lot of people down here in the south, and my stories growing up and what we did, when we hunted, way of life, all that. It's, it's a lot different, I'll tell you. Different stories, different upbringing, hunting, fishing, and I feel very fortunate and very blessed I got to grow up in that type of deal. And then, you know, I got to come down here and meet you guys and the whole new outlook on how hunting and fishing works around here, and I love it. Yeah, you kind of got... When you, you came down to the States, you kind of got uh, welcomed with open arms into a group of hardcore fishermen, and you kind of got the 
the uh how do you say i got the advanced or the speed light trail or uh something i got skyrocketed from years of advancement to how to do everything yeah elevator instead of the stairs when it came to fishing the learning curve curve, there was not much of a learning curve like this is how you do it this is how it works it's successful just do this all right cool sounds good to me so mikey you drew a moose tag this year in alaska why don't you tell us about that so yeah i drew a moose tag in alaska this year it was any bull tag and it was a my first bull for moose i've never gone hunting for moose before but i was totally stoked you know being on a little island we don't have moose over there we have deer and some uh, roosevelt elk but moose is a big animal i've always wanted to kill i put in for this tag and wait a minute they don't have moose on on that island no short story goes is uh they transplanted it to one of our little islands off of kodiak but within the first year i guess they supposedly the natives killed them all awesome within the first year (laughs) (laughs) there's no growth there's nothing going on with that but uh yeah people got a little greedy with it so going back to your tag sorry i I had no clue yeah anyways yeah i did this moose tag so i was stoked about it figured i'd get a group of guys i knew it wouldn't be by myself i had a friend of mine that's a guide up in uh, the mainland alaska and he was gonna hook me up fly me out teach me everything about what I needed to do, how to call, which you know you can learn on one YouTube video, and uh, fly me out is a good experience. But uh, I can explain my story, how the whole deal went, and we'll see how it goes. So, so who who went with you to Alaska? So I had a couple buddies of mine. Uh, I picked them up from Vancouver or Battleground area. They're from Battleground area, and I had a buddy named Colby, and I had a buddy named Dano. And these guys, they dropped their elk season pretty yeah. much to go moose hunting with you. So those are some good buddies. They did. I mean, they dropped their whole season for me. They were just like, we're in. We'll help you out. So once in a lifetime experience, let's just take over. Let's do this and let's have a good time. And so I'm like, what the heck? Let's do it. Let's team up. We get some tickets, booked our tickets. We're like, all right, September 14th, we're heading up to Alaska. Could you imagine trying to pack one of those animals out by yourself? Like, that's not a hunt you can do solo, I don't think. No, it's not a hunt. I would recommend no one to do solo, let alone even attempt it, unless you're just Igor of the wilderness or if you're a Bigfoot or something. But, yeah, it's a solid hunt. You know, if you're going in, flying in, doing or taking a raft or taking a boat, anything off the road system kind of deal. I would never recommend it to someone to do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us about your moose hunt, uh, kind of leading into the trip and you know, how it all transpired. All right. So the moose hunt, we took off, flew out, went to, what was it? Anchorage was our first flight in. We left Portland airport, went out there, all three of us packed up, figured we had 70 pounds of peace because we were weight restricted on what we could actually bring into our spike camp. So that had to include all of our gear, our rifle, our pack, our camp, our food. So it's pretty bare minimums. Yeah, and any of you listeners out there, if you guys are planning a trip to Alaska and you're planning a flying trip, make sure you guys keep that in mind that, you know, the, what, what are the, what's the name of those airplanes you guys took? Are they Super Cubs or? Super Cubs, yep. We got Super Cubs and we took one Cessna out of there to do one our big camp. And we shuttled from there on. So I recommend if you guys do have a big camp or a lot of people, do a Cessna out, do something big, a bigger plane, get over there, and then little Super Cubs will shuttle you in and out. It'll save you on cost, save you on time, 
it just works out because to get into that thick country to get way back in there where you want to be on these swamps you're definitely going to want a super cub you ain't going to want to be dropped off or put in a place where other hunters are going to be because there's a lot of locals up there that have you know they all have planes they all have the ability to get out there so you're going to be battling with them as well but you know those airplanes they got weight restrictions so you got to kind of keep that in mind and plan accordingly and i'm sure that was uh you had to be strategic about that a little bit that was definitely a game changer you know i got used to having a full boat you know my whole life growing up i had a boat i can travel island to island bring all the gear i want live on the boat hunt from the boat do whatever or if you drive into camp you know you have a trailer you could pull you have a back of a truck you could fill up with all the gear and you can feel comfortable that's a comfortable camp but when you're doing these fly-ins i mean to save money save time and do this you got your weight has got to be really low i mean bringing that up then you got to account for the animal you take out so there's an extra flight or two just for the animal you take out yeah absolutely and i remember you you gave me a, a phone call one day and you're like because you know we do a lot of backpack hunting um that's kind of like our passion just to get away from people but you called me one day and you're like man how do you feed yourself out there like i how am i gonna live without my stove and you know and we kind of talked about you know different meal options and and whatnot and hopefully one day soon we'll be putting out a youtube video and kind of going over me and cliff will go over kind of like what foods we take when we hunt the back country and whatnot but anyways so go on with your moose story so moose story here we go we're just um so we flew out of anchor we took a little plane we had a flight out we ended up going on super cub i did a little scouting before the other two guys went so the plan was take the super cub out have the rest of the camp come out on another bigger plane and then we'll shuttle the super cub from our gear and everyone else out the next day or so Went out, and to where we were going, I guess some other camp got there before us, so we had to change our plan up. Luckily, the captain we had, or the, not the captain, the pilot, excuse me, he was willing enough to drive us around, fly, fly us around, and look at different <laughs> places. And, geez, the moose we saw just in the plane, it's just unbelievable about how much animals we see and what we cover, the ground we cover, the animals we see are just everywhere. The problem was landing landing you can't just be like oh my why can't we just go right here i see a three or four huge bulls and i'm staring at them like i want to hunt this area i'll hunt it tomorrow morning we'll be good to go but the problem was we can't land anywhere you're out in the middle of nowhere and they're like you know why those bulls live here it's because no one can land here no one can land here you can't hike into here it's just middle of nowhere good luck trying to get here so screw it went across went way up into this glacier and from the glacier we saw, we saw five or six other camps and where we wanted to land. But we ended up landing in one spot way up on the side of a mountain somewhere. And we were backed by a glacier in one, and it fed out down a river. This is, you know, fall time, so the river was pretty low. And there was a sand pit right in the middle of the river that no pilots have landed on yet. We haven't seen any tracks. We haven't seen any kind of runway or no designated anything. But we saw a bull. We saw a little paddle bull. I mean, this little tiny bull. I thought it was a cow at first. But I was like, screw it. You know what? There's nothing else available. We'll make camp here. Let's get the guys here. We've been flying for hours. We're like, all right, let's do a couple of touchdowns and make sure we could even get there. So eventually, after three touchdowns, we were just like, yeah, it seems like it's hard enough. We make a landing. We land. Dude, that's got to be sketchy. <laughs> it is sketchy. Like, it was like... It was, trial and error hey we're know, flying like we're just gonna touch down real quick not i'm not gonna lie uh my butt puckered a little bit i mean <laughs> he said i've never been here before and the pilot you know this guy's an old seasoned pilot and he knew what he was doing he knew where to go but 
me, I'm sitting in the back, and these little super cubs, you know, it fits the person, me, and 50 pounds, 60 pounds of gear, and this plane looks like it's built out of, like, aluminum tin and some canvas or something. I mean, if this thing was going to take it, it would just roll <laughs> through the river and just tumble over. So after a couple of touch, I was I was sketched, but we did it. He landed it, gave him a high five, and we thought it was stiffer than we thought. I started setting up camp, and uh, then I realized about an hour later, mosquitoes galore. Oh. Ungodly <laughs> mosquitoes. And it was horrible. So I hung out there, set up camp. And waited for my other two buddies to come. It was miserable. Best investment I did have, though, was a full-face bug net. I mean, it was $12 off Amazon or something, and this thing saved my life. So, all right, for all you guys listening out there, remember that. Bug yeah. net when you go to bug Alaska. Net. Any still water, any backcountry bug net, bug spray, highly recommend. For sure. I always got a bug net in my pocket everywhere I go all season yep. long. And even a couple of spares for my clients because nobody ever brings them. But we yeah, if got you have extras. unhappy clients, then your whole <laughs> those bugs can yeah. get so obnoxious. They they're in your face, in your eyes, your nose, everywhere. Yep. And they just bite you. They want to eat you alive. They do, and it's horrible. But so on the roll, we got the uh, camp set up. We got my two buddies. They got flown in. They got shuttled in from the other big port. And once we got all settled up, took a day, drank some beer, hung out. Yeah, because you can't hunt same day you land. Yeah, correct? you can't hunt. So in Alaska or a lot of places, I guess, you can't hunt the same day you fly, which makes perfect sense, you know. So you can't go out there and say, oh, I spot that deal. I'm going to land right here and go straight for him and shoot him. So that's the law. Abide by the law. And uh, set up camp, hung out, made a little fire, rested up. Next morning, woke up bright and early before crack of dawn. And we split up. All of us split up. Trying to figure out cover ground. Some went high, some went low. We all had our GPS and communicate with each other and see what was going on. So me and one buddy went together. That would be me and Colby. And then another buddy, Dano, he went up into the glacier more or up river more to see if there's anything in the other swamps. So basically we were sitting at the river on our end and there's two swamps pretty much east of us. So usually with the moose, our guides, friends, recommendations, they all told us that they'll be around swamps. And I saw that moose on a swamp, so I figured let's go hang out by it. Wasn't hard hunting, but so we packed in about 400 yards and just sat and waited on that swamp. Just called all morning, nothing came through. Figured let's go for a hike. Went for a hike. So you guys are you guys are trying to essentially call a moose from a long distance away. Close to camp. Yeah. That's the much, tactic. That is the tactic. I mean, moose is a big animal. You don't want to be packing. You know, everyone recommends. And from my experience, what I've learned is I would not go any further than two, maybe three miles from your camp. That's the farthest I would ever go. Carry that kind of weight, what you're going to put it on, how you're going to get it home. That's what they, so. I yeah, because you're packing guy. it through a swamp. Yeah, you're packing it through yeah. a swamp and it'll just be miserable. So, and luckily I had waders. So one of the key things to bring also is either hip boots or waders. That's another key element that I would highly recommend because the first day we were hiking around that swamp, I'm a six foot one guy and I fell literally to my waist deep into a, some mud, swampy, nasty grass where I had to give up my rifle, have my buddy come and pull me out. It was that bad. <laughs> and I've never experienced that. It was I did that on the coast one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After I shot a bear. Yep. 
So it was horrible. But all of a sudden, around noon time came. So we came back around noon. And uh, I had a buddy of mine on top of the mountain. He was scouting up there, seeing if anything came through. I was calling down below. Nothing happened. And we're like, oh, let's just go back to camp, eat some lunch. I'm like, all right. So all of us went back to camp. We're sitting in the middle of the river on a little sand pile, eating lunch. I'm, I made top ramen. Those guys made some mountain houses or something. But I got curious about this river. I wanted to see if there's any fish in it. So I decided to cross the river in my waders and hang out there. Played around a little bit. Saw a few bears and whatnot. And that was a cool deal. Bears came to camp. Another thing to remember, too, is if you guys do go in the backcountry, bear gates, bear protection, anything bear, I mean, Alaska is probably, you know, per square mile, it does carry a lot of grizzlies, a lot of black bears, wolves, everything you can imagine for predator-wise, so you're always on alert. And I got two guys from down here in the States that were just freaked out the whole time thinking about these guys. Like, they never seen no grizzly, they never seen no brown bear, nothing's going to come up on them. So, yeah. That was me when I went to Alaska. I was worried. <laughs> Dude, I was worried here. about the bears. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, we had a good time. Hung out. Had our lunch and whatnot. And uh, we just decided, let's kick back. Whatever. Let's hang out for a little bit. We'll do an evening hunt. So, we sat around, shot the Started shooting, sighting in our guns, making sure they were all still dialed at like 600 yards for some weird reason. I don't know what it was, but. We could shoot at 600 yards, apparently. <laughs> uh, the object was huge, but anyways. Um, we did one last time. We had a few beers in us, hanging around camp. And then we decided, well, what the heck? Let's go back and do a night hunt. So us uh, three guys just decided to, well, shoot. The swamp is literally only 200 yards away from camp. Let's just throw our chairs on our backs and all of our gear and pack a couple of beers and go sit on this camp. <laughs> It was like, what? Like, Sounds like a good hunting trip so is. far. I mean, it was probably the most relaxed. Like, you don't get luckier than this kind of deal. So we went out to the swamp. We're sitting there having a good time. Just looking at each other, calling, calling. And Dano, he was the best caller of us all. So we let him just do the whole. I mean, he had lungs galore doing that full-on call. And that kid just, he made it go. So we he did that. We sat good two hours or so. Were you guys were you guys calling with just your hands? Or were you calling just through with our hands? We didn't make no. So supposedly they're supposed to make some makeshift fiberglass like call deal or people. It's use, like a cone, yeah. yeah, like a cone type deal. So they make that kind of deal and they're mwah, mwah, and doing all this snorting weird crap and I'm just like, that's the ugliest noise you could ever make. But I guess that's what a moose sounds like. <laughs> so we sat there. All of a sudden, nothing happened. Everyone had to take a piss. And we left. So we ended up leaving. We're like, screw it. It's first day, whatever. We just had a good time. We're in Alaska. We saw beauty. We saw this and that. And one of my buddies caught a fish with his bare hands. And so he was stoked about it. And it's like, well, what's a good first day? <laughs> That's we have awesome. nine other days to be here. Why not just go hang out at camp? That was good. We'll hit it hard tomorrow morning and, you know, buckle down. So we head back to camp. It's about six o'clock or so. How how uh how long was it staying daylight there? Oh, daylight was going into about nine nine thirty that during that time. Oh, of okay. Season, so it was good. We made some food. You know, I was making this awesome jet boiled rice roni deliciousness. I remember it 
clear the day, and I had a pan uh, spam packet. I mixed it all in. It was good. Man, I love spam. Yeah. Spam. So, so for people good. like me that don't know, like I've I've been to Alaska, but I, I went with somebody that that lived up there. So like you're in the middle of nowhere. Are you cooking your food next to your camp? Oh yeah, we're cooking food there. Okay. We had a garbage everything. Like all we did is, you know, we put our garbage up on the tree, threw everything we had up in the tree away from camp. Uh, where we took and everything, we'd walk, you know, a good two hundred yards away and bury that thing. And but we didn't take too many precautions. Like, don't worry, the bears ain't gonna you. They got so much food here. Look at all the salmon they catch when you guys were watching that and whatnot. And they're like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, we're good? I'm like, yeah, we're good. If you hear anything, you know, then freak out. But we're fine. Because the first day we landed there, I mean, the f- all of us split apart. And we realized the whole sandbar just bear tracks. <laughs> it was a highway for bears. But there were a lot of moose tracks, too. We saw a lot of moose tracks, a lot of bear tracks. And we figured these moose and bear, like, go up into the valley. And they hang out there all summer long, relax. And then wintertime, fall time comes, they all start coming back out. So it was a good spot to be in. We were excited about it. So then we were just like, okay, 7 o'clock, started rolling around, getting ready for bed. We were all in pajamas, you know. We are all tidying it up, sleeping in our tent, hanging out and whatnot. My food was getting cold, so I started eating it. Then all of a sudden we hear a mwah. I didn't hear it. Dano didn't hear it, but Colby heard it. He's like, I know that sound. I'm like, what? No one, what are you talking about? He's like, Moi. And like, I didn't hear anything. I heard nothing. <laughs> the moi. Like, the moi. You don't hear the moi? I'm like, so we're sitting in this camp, three guys in a little, like, three person tent. Is that considered like, like a grunt from a moose? Like, I guess. Moi. That's like moi. a grunt. That's what they make noise, what they sound like, it's what they do. And, like, yeah. Moi. And then he's like, dude, if you don't go check that out, Mikey, I'm going to go check it out. I'm like, I, I ain't going outside. This, I'm eating my meal. It's delicious right now. I'm starving. I want to eat. So I'm sitting there eating my food. Mikey requires a 5,000 calorie <laughs> diet on a normal day. So like when he's hunting, he probably requires 10,000 calories. Yeah, just so yeah. you guys know, he's a big dude. Yep. So this big boy, he steps outside the tent and he looks straight down. He took his binos off and he looks straight down towards our swamp. And all of a sudden I hear another mwah. And I thought he was screwing around with me. Just like, wait, what? I heard that. And then Colby turns literally like, 45 degrees, look straight to his right, and then I just see him shaking. I see him shaking. I see him slapping the tent. Dan, I was like, Mikey, get out there. Mikey, get out there. All of a sudden, he pulls the tent back. like, get out here now. I get up, stand up, in my pajamas and all. <laughs> look out, step outside of my tent. Look to my right. At 130 yards, here's this moose. I could have swore the biggest moose in the world. It was a world record moose in my eyes. <laughs> I, was pumping, I was like, that's the biggest one to date, I swear. I swear. I grabbed my tripod, put it in my hand, grabbed my gun, another hand, laid down on one knee, spawned on my scope, 130 yards, boom, drilled him. He jumped up, took three more steps, put one more in his neck, boom, dropped right there. 110 yards where we found him at from camp. And that was probably the easiest. This is day one. <laughs> day one. This is day one. This is day one. Oh my god! And we're just like everything in Alaska dies so much easier. Than <laughs> like you shot it. I was shooting 165 grain, which everyone was thinking that was a you know piss poor gun. Why'd you bring you know my? It's a 300, 165. You know, good shot placement. It'll kill that sucker. Shot that son of a gun. Lung shot. Boom. 
jumped up, gave a little deal, ran about three or four feet, and all of a sudden another shot right through the neck. Dropped that sucker, high fives all around, adrenaline pumping like galore. I didn't even know what the hell was going on. I was shaking. Put the gun down. Everyone hugged each other. So this is awesome. And all right, boys, time to go to work. But first thing first, yo, let's all change up and look. Our, we gotta look good in these pictures. So let's go. Put so our you guys switching your camo. <laughs> so we all went back into our camp. Put in all of our Sitka gear, cryptic gear, first light gear, you know, we're like, gonna take pictures of this sucker. We gotta look good. We didn't wanna, you know, like You gotta make it look like you went on this epic, <laughs> epic adventure. Yeah, seriously. It's like, yeah, we put in like ten miles back in the back country and we're sweating galore and it's so much work and this and that. But no. So we changed up, went out there, it's about seven thirty, got on top of the sucker and did some pictures, did all that. And started butchering. Started day one. Day number one. Couldn't have been ecstatic or more ecstatic than what we felt. We're like, dude, we're done. Like, literally. So we're cutting this thing up. We're like, well, shoot. Let me call my uh, plane and see what's up. They're going to come out tonight. If they want to come out tomorrow to pick up this meat. Well, Mikey, did you guys have a satellite phone with you? Yeah, I had a satellite phone. I do recommend if you ever do any of that kind of hunting, satellite phone or in reach. Highly recommend. They were lifesavers. We used it a lot to keep in contact with your pilot because there's a lot of days you can get stuck out there and they can't come get you. Like the first day, we couldn't even gone out because uh, what was planned because of weather. And luckily, you know, it cleared up for us and we got out. But on the way home, it got a little sketchy, and we had to wait a couple of days and hold through the weather. But we had enough food and. You had a moose. Yeah, you had a moose. We ate that like crazy. So we butchered that sucker up. Easiest pack out. We're like, well, shoot. We don't even need to bring our packs. We just threw a – we started splitting it and hindquarters, all this, butchered it up, and each guy pretty much grabbed it, ran 130 yards and laid it down, grabbed another one, laid it down, split it. We got one guy on bear watch because, for heaven's sakes, the bear came upon us, so – one dude was pretty much primarily just looking around with his little side piece, wanting to shoot a bear because he was scared for all hell. <laughs> did you get now? Did you guys get that thing quartered up before it got dark? Oh yeah, <clears throat> for the most part, it was probably the fastest deal I've seen in a long time. I mean, to have it butchered, cut up, and back to camp, it literally took us oh, what do we have? Seven thirty, and we were back in our pack, or back at our camp and sleeping by about one. So. It was great. Full animal. And these animals, you know, they weigh a good, you know, 1,600 is max. This guy was probably pushing around 11 to 1,200 pounds. So, packed them out. That's a down. big That's a big animal. So a lot of meat. Very big animal. If you guys can see the photos, I got a buddy of mine. He's six foot four, and he sat behind it. I mean, it dwarfs him. It's unbelievable how much, like a hind quarter, I'd estimate that sucker to weigh 150, 160 pounds and throwing that on your back and Luckily, we didn't have to go that far, so cut them all up, went back to camp, and we were like, shoot, what are we going to do? We have next couple of days to do nothing. So next couple of days, we just went up the river, hand fished a little bit, threw a couple of salmon on the beach, and uh, that was a good time. Did you guys Did you guys end up cooking any, any of that moose meat oh, at uh, camp? Yeah, the next morning, I made the best. So we took those, uh, what are those, skillets of... Um, Mountain House skillets. The breakfast skillet? Breakfast skillets. Yeah, those are good. We took the big heap load of that stuff. Took fresh tenderloin right out. 
fried it in a pan, and we had steak and breakfast skillet, and I, it was probably the best meal we had in a long time. Especially out there, out like. There. Yeah, so we enjoyed it. We ate a good amount of meat out there and hung out, and it was a good hunt. Two days later, after we had our good time playing around, we just, well, what the heck, let's call the planes. They came and picked us up, and the rest of the time, we just partied in Anchorage and see what Anchorage had to offer us. So this is your first moose, though, right? That was my first moose hunt, and I am full-on addicted to it. I'm going to go back every year. I won't get this tag every year, but, you know, being a local and a resident, I'm going to go down there, and I'd like to do at least every other year between elk season and hunting moose. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty epic uh, story. Uh, The hunt was short-lived, but (laughs) you got to take the the easy ones when you can, and from – a lot of hunts that I have seen, it seems like a lot of guys do try to call them moose, you know, close to camp. It's You're trying to call those moose from a long distance away to get them close to camp to where you're not packing a thousand pounds of meat, you know, miles and miles and miles. Oh, yeah. Going into this, I mean, the first spot we had planned, my uh, buddy who guides up there was like, all right, we're going to drop you off on top of a mountain. It's going to take you a good mile and a half at an elevation. So you're dropping from, you know, I think 1,600 feet down to sea level. And so I'll take a good hour. So just going down to get into the swamp area and we trained, we practiced, we did all this stuff to get ready for it, but we lucked out or I guess there's a blessing in disguise that we ended up not going there because they called this place the hell hole. So there's a straight up incline to bring this moose. And I was just like, after packing it literally that 110 yards back to camp, there was no way, I don't know. It would have been probably a two or three day trip just to pack that sucker out of what we were planning for if we had to do it in the first spot that we were planning. Yeah. What was the spread on your bull? Spread on my bull. I measured it. I measured it the other day because I got it at my house. Because so the funny thing is about that moose is the antler had a worm. I think it was a worm worm that was growing in it, and the the antler it, it it had eaten the inside of the antler out and. The antler broke off when he got it back here. Serious? Yeah, when I was taking out the skull, we were trying to bust the skull off, and we were cutting it, got to the back joint back here, and I was reefing on it, pulling, pulling, all of a sudden, the right, I believe it's the right side antler, just busted right off. And I'm like, there's no way, you know, that should happen. I'm not Hercules or nothing, and it literally just busted. But, yeah, I, I measured that thing yesterday. And uh, it measured out at 54 inches. 54 inches? Yeah. Holy You didn't even know. You're like, wow. I didn't know. I was like, yeah, it broke. So we never measured it in Alaska. It broke. Never put it back on. So yeah, it was crazy. Yes. It was a stud moose. I'm I'm pretty stoked because I got to, I'm getting to kind of play with my uh, taxidermy skills on it. It's, I'm just doing a European mount on it, but uh, it's pretty sweet. Is that the one that was in the picture? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, why does it only have like half a paddle? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm playing with some epoxy trying to get that thing put back together, but it's coming along. It's looking good. Nice. So right on. That's a that's a pretty epic story. Pretty pretty entertaining. Funny. I wish I was there. I really do. Um, Phil, how about you? What do you? What's your experiences for hunting in Alaska? I know you've done a little bit of deer hunting there. Yeah, Tell hunting in Alaska um, usually falls place at the end of the season when all the clients are gone and our season is done, our fishing season, because we cannot legally take or have clients with us while we go hunting. So it's in the off season 
It's kind of like our hoorah, it's the end. Let's go have fun week. Heck yeah. That and, good. Uh, That's September, October. Like what? Uh, it's like beginning of September, uh, October. Okay. Okay. Um, sometimes like the last week of September, just depending on schedules and stuff. Yeah. But it's more just kind of the remote areas of where we fish at. Um, just kind of around camp there. We go climbing up on whatever mountains around there, go get to the top of the hills and just do a lot of spotting. You guys have killed some stud bucks from the picture that I've seen. Yeah, I mean. these are deer that are just, you know, they hardly ever see anybody. They're un, unpressured. And there's a lot of, a lot of deer. These deer have just populated the island of Kodiak. And you can basically go up on top of, any mountain and pick out whatever you want basically it's shopping (laughs) it's saying that it's still deer hunting (laughs) it's not like you just walk up to these things and slap them in the face you still gotta treat them like they're deer but what what a way to end your fishing season though to go oh yeah it's it's just like a big celebration you go up there you you just go and hunt and it's the funnest hunting i think i've ever experienced yeah, and I heard those things taste amazing. They're incredible. Yeah. These deer, gosh, what your experience with the Kodiak deer, they don't have any predators, no pressure. They just hang out on well, the mountain on, hold their on. whole life. Kodiak deer that don't have no predators? Are you, you're not, but okay. bears. There's bears. predators on yeah. Kodiak, but these bears, they they weren't, yeah. these deer were introduced into Kodiak, you know, how many years, 200 years ago or whatever it was. And so these bears don't exactly key in on these deer. These bears, all they want to do is just fish and eat grass and berries. And they'll take opportunities if they get them. I'm but sure they, they get some. These some deer balls. are not pressured. So they just sit on, basically, sit, my uh, impression of these deer is they sit on mountains and get fat all summer long. Yeah, some of those deer you guys killed were super plump. They, they are were plumped. fatties. They yeah. got a big old layer of lard all over their all and over their body cavity. <laughs> you the biggest predator they have is literally just winter. It depends. Yeah. Like everything up there is based winter will on kill them. winter kill. That's winter for sure. Winter kill is the highest, you know, like one year. I mean, back in 2012 was probably one of the best years for that island to produce deer. You know, you didn't have much of a winter kill. So you're seeing all these two and three-year-olds become mature bucks. I mean, awesome-looking bucks, plenty of food, plenty of vegetation, and they're surviving. The winter kill is truly the only aspect in their life that they have to fear what they're going to die. And hunters, you know, but those things breed like rabbits, though, yeah. from what I've heard. I was just saying that their breed and their population, the way they grow is, and there's not that many people that hunt. You know, you got all these people paying money to go to their clients, tourists, and whatnot. But and the locals, you got the locals out there. But growing up, being a local and everything, we and a lot of the guys up there, a lot of the population, the people. They ain't going out for these trophy deers. They, you know, they go for fill the freezer. Yeah, yeah. They fill the these are the, the best tasting venison you've ever had. So you know, a lot of really? big ass it's bucks incredible. you see up there, high up in the Cascades, high up you know, anywhere in Alaska, we find those Sitka blacktail deer. They will, they'll be there. You put in the time, you put in the work, and they're just there. Unless, mm-hmm. unless you have like a hard winter, yeah, you can have, have off years. Winter, then yeah, we're gonna have off years. They'll be like one year was great, and then the next three or four years horrible because the winter kill was bad and gosh two years ago winter kill was really bad Mm -hmm. 
they had a hard freeze for a whole month i heard and all the water sources just got totally frozen so a lot of deer just you know dehydrated died you think it was from dehydration? That's the story I was told. I wasn't there in the winter. I, I come back to Washington in the off season. Because you think that if it was frozen that they'd be able to get water from just... Somewhere, but I guess ice. everything was just frozen. I mean, huh? I don't Interesting. know. <laughs> so you guys mainly spot and stalk those deer, right? Yeah, it's straight up spot and stalk and you use the terrain to you know, conceal yourself and get within range of these deer. Now, is that is that considered part of the rut for those deer or is that uh i've never actually witnessed any kind of buck chasing after any doe so it's probably they're actually pretty segregated every time i go after them you just you run in the bachelor groups yeah Yeah. so what i noticed where we were at is a lot of the does and even littler bucks like spikes and tiny little forkies would hang out on the valley floor usually and if you want to find nice, mature bucks, you climb up to the top of the mountains, and that's where their bachelor groups are, okay. is on the top of these 2,000-foot mountains. Now, that time of the year, you guys find any bucks in velvet at all? Uh, not in October, no, but in August, yes. The season starts September or August 1st. Oh, okay. It goes for quite a while. So once the season opens, yes, there are a lot of deer in velvet. I mean, basically every buck is in velvet. I've always wanted to kill a buck in velvet. The best tasting deer, berry fed. <laughs> yeah, they're eating a lot of berries and really good stuff from the springtime. So, and I've, I've heard of guys doing calling, you know, like bleats and stuff. Did you guys ever experiment with that yeah. at all? We have not, actually. We just go out there and we got spotting scopes and binoculars and we... Spot stock. Spot, yeah. Straight up spot stock. That's I my think favorite it would way. Be, I think it'd be fun to go up there and maybe apply some like whitetail tactics like go up there and do some rattling so rattling. you can like rattle in a buck i mean because you know it sounds like the deer are plentiful they're a lot of deer it wouldn't hurt one day to go out there and maybe try some you know bleak calls no and... i i truly believe it. i got some buddies that are uh, back at home right now they're getting all prepped up and there's a lot of companies sell all these bleak calls and whatnot, and it's amazing to see how far these deer and how aggressive these deer will get for that bleak call. Yeah, the fawn in distress, yeah, right? That's a yeah. that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so many bleak calls and literally just sitting on top of a mountain or a knoll, you know, these little, because a lot of the mountains up there, they got these huge bulls in them, or towards the south end, they got these little knolls. You wouldn't even really call them mountains. They're like little hills. You sit on top of in high grass country, all followed up, but... You just call and call and you got these deer, I mean, just full-on aggressive coming right at you, right on top of you, and you're just like... Man, they got to come into rattling them. They yeah, have to. They if have they come to into that... All that stuff. And, yeah, yeah, if they're that aggressive when it comes to a bleak call, you would think that you could rattle them. Yeah. But, I mean, who knows? It'd be worth trying one of these years. Or next. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to try to get get up there next year. Hopefully, that's Marlin a That's a Cliff. bucket list for me. I, yeah. I really want to get one of those. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, like I said earlier, it, from what everybody said, that the meat is just fabulous. The first time I ever ate it, I wouldn't believe it was venison if somebody didn't really? told me. It does not taste like any venison I've ever eaten down here in, in Washington, or yeah. which is really good stuff. Yeah. I never complained about any kind of venison I've ever eaten. Note to but people I'm, real quick, though, about cooking venison. If it's not bleeding... You've overcooked it. That's why it tastes like crap. <laughs> well, unless, unless, yeah, I agree with you 100%, Cliff, I do. But 
there's nothing better than putting a deer roast in a crock pot and letting it cook all day. I'll agree with you. That when it falls apart, yeah. it it is good. And like what Katie does now, you like a lot of people like pulled pork, right? Well, Katie makes pulled venison and she does the same. She cooks it in a crock pot all day long. She makes her own barbecue sauce, mixes it up. And like, I would take that over pulled pork any day, but teach their own. I also try to live off of venison throughout the whole year. If yeah. I can. All right. I want to know what you killed, Phil. I want to know what you killed this year. What have I killed this yeah. year? Nothing. No. Oh my I did not buy a tag or nothing Seriously? this year. Seriously? Oh, my yep. God. You just go with buddies, right? I go with friends. Oh, and my God. And I spot and I watch and I enjoy and, and I help meat. them pack like them a, out. Little, I help like them clean it. You're like a little pack mule, right? Oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't cost me no 500 bucks to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, ha- I think I have your number, Phil. I'll call you next time. Is it 500 bucks for out of state? I forgot it's what it was. That goes up. It used to be like... It went way up these last couple of years. 500 bucks ain't nothing. You get three deer off the road system tags and yeah. one on the road system tag. So... You fill your freezers with three deers, you know, a buck seventy-five or a buck fifty a deer. That's a lot of meat. Absolutely. That's well, I honestly didn't know how much hunting I was going to do this last season. We uh, we did have an AWOL week, but I thought we were just going to be doing a lot of fish, and but it just ended up being a lot of so hunting. So those guys at least hook you up with a little bit of meat. Oh yeah, we're all eating good all week. Yeah. You know, we're. <laughs> we're eating venison and yeah, surfing whatever. Turf, yeah. So the. <clears throat> The deer, the deer that you, Phil, the deer that you are hunting are more of like the mountain type deer. They're they're off, off the grid kind of backcountry, I guess. Alpine style, style deer that you're hunting. Yeah, alpine style. So yeah, that's kind of where you find the mature bucks. Mikey, you grew up in Alaska, kind of hunting the road system deer is what I heard people calling them. Mm-hmm. The road system Sitka blacktails. Can you explain a little bit? Yeah, so the road about system, that. Uh, it pretty much, in Kodiak Island, we got a city, so the island itself is probably about 100 miles long, 50 miles wide, but literally Kodiak's town, I don't know, you could drive as far down as about 35 miles on the lengthwise and hit an end of the road, and you can go north about another 30 miles, and that's about it. I mean, there's so much land and so much uh, area that we do not cover, so a lot of people do do the boats. You know, you can pick a boat, go to the other side of the island, go all the different bays, or you take a plane and do a fly-out hunt. The road system, you know, we like our law changes year to year. It's pretty much one buck on the road system and three to four, depending on what they allow per year off the road system. So, so do they do they base that off of, like, what type of winter you guys what had? What type of winter, gotcha. what, you know, stuff like that population-wise and what fishing game has determined is, you know, if it's going to destroy the whole population or what's going on, but it sounds like that'd be pretty hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So road system, but same tactics, you know, you're going to go out and my whole belief on roasting deer, you want a mature deer. You're going to climb to the top of the highest mountain, big old mountain. You're going to see a bull. And in that bull bedded deer, deer walking around doing their thing. Versus down here, you know, a lot of your bucks and your giant bucks in the thickest, nastiest possible spot you can imagine. You're hiking through that, and good luck trying to get a shot on him because he's literally just spooked by any walk or any step you take. Where up there, you know, it's so clear. You get high enough, there's no trees. There's nothing. You get high enough up there in elevation, 
it's just all open. You're in a huge bowl on top of the mountain. You can run the ridge lines, run everything, spot a beautiful buck, and and do a good spot and stock on them. So, yeah, Mikey, you know he grew up hunting Sika blacktail, and he came down here to hunt with us. And I pretty much told him, I said, we're gonna wait for the nastiest, rainiest couple days that we can find. And we're going to put all of our rain gear on and we're literally just going to be plowing through reprod. That's what we're going to do. And I don't know. He might've thought I was crazy until we've seen 50 deer seen in a day. Everything down here went against everything I was taught growing up up there. I was like, I remember the first couple of years hunting down here and I was, my belief was you hike your ass off, you get to the top of the mountain, you're going to find all kinds of bucks. I mean, you're going to see bucks, you're going to see deer, light, everything. No, you put on, you know, 11, 12, 15 miles a day and good luck. Sometimes I saw nothing. Sometimes I saw one and just ran away. And, you know, it was very discouraging to realize how fortunate I was back in Alaska and how the hunting went up there and how it's so much different down here. But different place, different times, and uh, that's how it goes. I'm sure that, you know, there's tactics, you know, that you can apply, that you learned up there, that you can somewhat apply down here. There is areas where you can, you know, spot bucks down here for from, you know, long ways away, but there's not a lot. Um, and same as there, you know, I'm sure you could take some of the tactics that you've learned hunting oh, yeah. in this area tactics and apply them and up there. How you do things and how you roll and what, you know, how you chase these deer around. But my biggest deal is, I just think there's a lot of hunters down here. I mean, you're fighting hundreds upon thousands of people down here versus up there. I don't know. I'm lucky if I see one soul hunting the same area I'm hunting. So I believe that's It's funny you say you're you're lucky to see one person. (laughs) I dread seeing people here. (laughs) Yeah, so it's a... It's totally different. It's culture shock. It's a different type of style of hunting. It's, you know... If you want to go and experience that, produce meat and have a great time and whatnot. Like, don't get me wrong, hunting down here is awesome. It's a good time and everything. But yeah, someone that could be a rock star down here, you'd be a superstar up in Alaska. I tell you that. Yeah. In fishing and in hunting, because you guys got to put a lot more work in, a lot more effort, homework, all that. Where I never knew anything about these game cameras and setting up and doing this preseason stuff and. All of that. Scouting. Scouting. And all, I'm like, no, it's hunting season? All right, let's go out. We'll go kill a buck. We'll come back home tonight, and we'll have dinner. But, no, nah, down here, totally different. And I commend and all you guys that can do it and produce year to year. That's awesome. So, good luck. Yeah, we we do put in a lot of time down here. But I think, you know, growing up in in an area helps, you know, you learn it, you learn how the deer act and you learn kind of, you know, their feeding patterns and you know, whatnot as to where like, you know, you living in Alaska, you kind of understand the deer there and we're all learning. We're all learning every day. I, you know, I've been hunting out there. Yeah. I've been hunting blacktails for 20 years now, which is, that is just crazy to me. 20 years I've been hunting blacktails and I, there's no way I haven't figured out. I don't think I ever will in my entire lifetime. 
But just when you do, like, man, they prove you wrong every yeah. single time. Every year's different, ain't it? Yeah. Oh, every year's different. It's especially with what, like, well, if we go into like a late season hunt, that's if we don't get weather. There's times like I don't know what to do. That's it, it throws you off so much. But like now, uh, now we're getting some weather, we, some rain. We rely on weather yeah. wholeheartedly. It seems like like that is determines our success really yeah hunting public land blacktails down here in the states is tough so do those so those sitka blacktails do they hunker down like when when you guys get storms or do you guys not even waste your you like i'm not going out it's just nasty or sometimes i've noticed for where we go after them it's wide open there's no trees anywhere so even if they're hunkered down they're just the, in the, the open biggest anyway. anything that's like a tree is like a I don't know, an eight-foot willow, willow patches. But what they'll do is they'll hunker down in ravines. They'll use the terrain to their advantage and get out of the storm. They'll go to one side of the ridge line or the other, and that's And then our black hills down, down do here, it. like, they come out of the woodwork. Yeah, when it rains, it's game time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, guys, you guys have to battle the fog up there quite a bit, don't you? Yeah, visibility can be a factor a lot of times. Visibility is a huge factor. I remember... When I was a kid, I was probably like, I don't know, 15 years old or something like that. And I figured I could do a morning hunt before I had to go uh, run the boat to go fishing. So I went up early morning. Or no, I went that the, the night before. I went that evening and went out and figured I'd do a little camp out. So I went the night before, got way back in this spot called Chiniac. And there's like seven lakes back in there. And I got far as back. I was probably like three miles in. And we were hunting and whatnot going off. We saw a deer run off into the woods and... We were just like, oh, screw it. Let's just go back in there. We'll chase it. Maybe it'll stop. And we got way back in there. All of a sudden, we got top of the little knoll we were at and realized, where the hell are we? You know, this is when I was younger. I didn't have a GPS with me. You know, I've been hunting these woods. I figured I can get back. And all of a sudden, every hill I went to, every tree I looked at looked all the same. And then I figured we were lost. So me and a buddy... That's a bad place to be lost it in Alaska. Really <laughs> that is a terrible place. We did not know where we were. We didn't know where our TV was or nothing like that. And we just decided to, well, screw it. I guess we're just going to make camp and wait till the fog burns out. So we decided to wait for the fog to burn off and whatnot. That night was probably the worst night I've ever slept in because I didn't have a tent. We made some makeshift deal out of some blown tarp we found, some logs and moss and it was me and another buddy of mine, same age as I was, and we slept there all night. Didn't do much sleeping, stayed up the whole time. Woke up the next morning, and there was still fog, and we realized, well, we got to start trying to move somewhere. So try to do a little bit of moving. I know that the sun is on this way. If we keep going out towards the west, we're going to hit towards the ocean, because the ocean, you know, we're on an island and whatnot, so we figured we hit something to follow that back. So we started heading that way, and... Uh, about a mile and a half, two miles, we ended up breaking onto one of the logging roads. And once we got to the logging road, we like, oh my gosh, we finally made it somewhere. We're walking on the logging road, and one more hill we go over, we find the Coast Guard, the state troopers, <laughs> both of our families, and I don't know, probably like 30 other family and relatives and friends. They sent out a search party. They sent out a full-on search party. No, we're young kids in high school, and we got out there and... No one communicated back where we were going. The last person we told was my buddy's mom that we were going to go out hunting in Chiniac for a little bit. And 
we got there and we got lost. Uh, and so that was definitely a game changer. That Christmas, I got a GPS, my first one I ever owned. And I was late for work, but, you know, whatever. You know, a GPS is definitely a game changer. And there's certain areas where it's almost like a necessity. Like even here, you know, there's areas where you'll get in there and everything looks the same. Um, and, you know, they got GPSs now. Like I bought the inReach this year. Well, actually, I didn't buy it. My girlfriend bought it for me. But, yeah, she wanted to keep tabs on me. But <laughs> not only can your family track you while you're out in the woods, but you can also send text messages, and, and, and it has an SOS button. So if you get into a sticky situation, you can call for help. And I think that anybody that can afford one, and they're not they're not super – unreasonable i think they're like 379 bucks what's your life worth yeah, when you're out there yeah i mean we kind of knew we were doing we grew up so we knew how to make a fire and how to make a shelter and do all this but imagine if we were just some random kids that went out there and didn't know what to do or how to do it it happens every year yeah, you freak yeah. out and yeah those people that get lost up there all the time and end up dying whether they hurt themselves whether they get lost and can't find their way out or you just never know and for you know for you guys listening like i know everybody tries to do their homework and you know they have their hunting areas that they know but it doesn't hurt to have a backup plan it doesn't hurt to have some form of communication so look into something like that if you can afford it it is definitely a game changer and always tell somebody where you're going, whether it be your wife, your mom, cousin, someone, just another general area where to go looking for you. And if you're not back in two, three days, come a looking. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Yeah, that was a that was a fun conversation. Thank you guys for joining us. And uh, everybody out there listening, make sure you subscribe and comment below. Let us know what you guys think of this podcast. Uh, let us know, you know, if there's anything that you guys would like to hear in the future, you know, give us some feedback. We want to, we want to hear what you guys are thinking. And I, I really hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast uh, as much as I did. Again, thank you, Mikey. Thank you, Phil, for joining us. Yeah, it was great to be here. Yeah, it was good. If you guys have any questions about what outfitters we use or what uh, flying service we use, we definitely appreciate it. And we'd like to help you out. So just comment on it and uh, we'll definitely give you the names and the companies that helped us out. Yeah, and, you know, that's what we're here for, guys. We're here to help people that, you know, don't necessarily have, you know, someone to get them into hunting or, you know, if you have any questions, like, we're here to help you guys. So make sure you guys message us or comment, and, and we'll do our best to give you uh, good feedback. All right, thank you guys for listening. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you, Sean. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you, Cliff.